going to be in the book of Ephesians, the first chapter. So if you want to turn there, we're just going to look at a couple verses there. And, uh, and we're kind of really going to hit those couple verses pretty well this morning. And I want to talk about the blessings of redemption. There's some certain things that we're given because we're redeemed. And those are the kind of the, the things that I want to look at this morning. So if you'll turn to the Ephesians, the first chapter. I'm not kidding you. I was, I was amazed at all the things I started reading through Ephesians. And I thought, man, well, here's a sermon. Here's a sermon. Here's a sermon. I am, I'm not even out of the first chapter yet. So I thought, wow, this is going to be a, a gold mine here. So we're going to look at the first chapter, looking at verse 6. <clears throat> and if the children's church... Uh, or free to go if you want to go to Children's Church. My husband will be out there again. So if you want to go to Children's Church, they have a good time with him because he's, you know, he's the oldest kid out there. When he goes out there, he gives him an excuse to, to, to play. So verse 6, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath proposed in himself. <clears throat> we know that our only hope of redemption is through Christ. There's no other way that we can be saved except through the blood of Christ. I know that there's a world out there that tries to find other ways, and they say, well, you join this church, and that's going to do it. All you got to do is join this church, pay your tithes, and do these, do these certain things, and you're okay. And they get a lot of people to believe it, but that isn't what the Bible says. We're only redeemed by one way, and that's through the blood of Christ. And because of his redemption, we're, not only, we're redeemed from the penalty of sin and the power it has over us. There was a doctor in Chicago, famous doctor that was uh, very specialized. And he was awoken at 1 o'clock in the morning, and he was needed in surgery because he was the only hope that this, um, this kid had to live. And so he gets up, and he, he starts heading toward the hospital. He thought, well, you know, because of the critical, na critical nature of this, I'm going to take this route that is not as safe as some other routes, but it's the quickest that way there. And I think that every minute I save, you know, can be a, a difference in that child's life. So he goes through this bad part of Chicago, and he stops at a signal light, and a guy comes up, and he rips open the door and yanks him out of the car and says, I've got to have your car, and he takes off. So here's this doctor in the middle of this unsafe neighborhood. Well, it takes him about an hour to get between getting a taxi and getting to the hospital, which would have only been, you know, maybe a 10-minute drive. So an hour later, he finally gets into the hospital, and they, the nurse says, I'm sorry, doctor, but the, you know, the, the little girl died. And so the doctor's kind of feeling bad. And he says, uh, but the father, he's in the, he's in the uh, chapel, and he wants, is, is in there praying and wondering why you didn't show up. And the guy that took him out of, yanked him out of the car, was a, he was an old, old uh, he was a big guy, but he was uh, kind of a gruff-looking guy, had on a gray hat and a flannel shirt, and wasn't really as pristine as what you would if you lived in that area. And so he walks into the chapel, and here he sees, as he walks in the door, here he sees this guy with a gray hat, a flannel shirt, and tall guy, and he realized that this is the same man that had yanked him out of that car. So that guy 
yanked the only one out of that car and stole the guy's car, was the only one that could save his child. That's kind of what the way the world is today. They're yanking away, they're trying to get rid of everything that they can in our society to get rid of God. They're trying to get rid of Christ out of our, out of our government, out of our schools, out of everyone else. And that's the only one that can save us. That's the only one that has the answer. It's the only way we can be redeemed. And that we're trying to throw it out, we're trying to push it out of the way, we're trying to do everything we can because we don't understand that this is the only way. And in uh, Matthew, the first chapter, 21st verse, the angel of the Lord declared to Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. God proclaimed that Jesus was going to be the one that was going to save people from their sins. He was going to be the one to redeem us, and the only one. Luke 9, 19, 11 says that Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came not only to save, but he came to seek and to save. He sought us out. He wanted to save us. He just didn't say, you know, okay, I'm here. He sought us out to save us and to redeem us. Now, another word for saved, of course, is redeemed. And we use that. It sounds a little better sometimes to be redeemed because I think we, we, we think they're two different things. But actually, in reality, they're not. Ephesians 1.7, it says, We have been redeemed through the blood of, blood of Christ. Now, this re word redeem that's translated here comes from an old world, old word that they used to use in slavery in the commercial world. And what they did, you know, of course, they got all these slaves, and these slaves were powerless to change any of their situation that they had. They were yanked out of their homes, and they're sold to the highest bidder. Their life was basically, they had no life. It was over. They had no hope, nothing. The only hope that they had was if somebody bought them just with the idea of setting them free which wasn't very common. And that's where we get that word redeemed from because we have no way to save ourselves. We're lost, just like those slaves were. We're lost. We have no hope unless somebody is willing to pay the price to set us free because we can't pay that price for ourselves. In uh, John 8, 34, it says, John, uh, Jesus said, everyone who sins is a, sa is a slave to sin. We are forced to live in bondage to sin and to Satan because we have no hope outside of Christ. He's the only hope that we have. And we're just like any other slave that they had. You know, yeah, it's great that Lincoln freed the slaves, but Jesus came to free everyone. And we're slaves. And we need to be redeemed because we can't do anything about it. We're lost. We have no hope without Christ. It was said that uh, someone wrote that... Uh, where am I at here? Turn the wrong page here. Ephesians 1 7, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He's the only way we have redemption is through him. And Hebrews 9 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Christ wants to set each one of us free. That's why he came and died. That was his whole purpose for being here. John 8 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Faith in Christ delivers us from the guilt of our past. Because a lot of people, they just can't live with their past. Sometimes our past haunts it so, so much that we can't even live. There was a story about this great, uh, he was kind of a, I don't know what you'd call him, an artist of some kind. And he had a, uh, he had this uh, 
It was really expensive hankies. Now, this is from the era when hankies were uh, the thing, you know, it was kind of like a prestige thing. You had a real nice looking hanky and, and all these things. But this, this one friend of his, he had this hanky and it, ink got spilled on it. And the guy thought, you know, it's ruined, it's wasted. I can't, it, it's just no good anymore. And the guy, he took it, I think his name was John Rekin or something like that. He took the hanky, said, oh, and he kind of looked at it. And what he did is he took that hanky, and from that blotch in that hanky, hanky he went and he used some Indian ink and did that and drew an art, drew a sculpture or drew something on this, this handkerchief, and he get, returned it to the guy, and it was just a beautiful, beautiful hanky, one of the beautiful, most beautiful one that he had ever seen. And that's what God does to our lives when he redeems us. Our lives may look like they're terrible and they're all messed up and we have no hope in our lives, but Jesus takes our lives and he takes all that our past and he takes everything that we are and he creates something beautiful from it. And that's what he wants to do to everyone. And not just me, and not just you, but everyone that we know. God wants to do that with their lives. Our lives are never wasted when God comes into our lives. It doesn't matter because he redeems our lives. He not only redeems our past, but he redeems our present and he redeems our future. In, uh, I'm reminded there's a story, and I'm going to read this because there's a lot of things that I'll mess up if I don't. It reminds us, in 1927 in West Africa, a blood specimen was taken from a native man named Asabai, who was sick with yellow fever. A vaccine was made from the original strain of virus obtained from this man. In fact, all the vaccine manufactured since 1927 by the Rockefeller Foundation and Health Agency derives from the original strain of virus obtained from this one man. Carried down to the present day from one laboratory to another through repeated cultures and by erroneous multiplication, it had been offered immunity to yellow fever to millions of people in many countries. Through the creative imagination of science, the blood of this one man in West Africa has been made available to serve the whole human race. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? The blood of one man. Because of the blood of one man, we all can be redeemed. This guy's blood just was good for one particular thing. Yellow fever. If you had something else, too bad. But Jesus' blood, it's good for every sin that we commit. It's good for every life. It doesn't matter what your sickness is. It doesn't matter what your background is. Jesus' blood will do the trick. And he's redeemed us through his blood. Matthew 20 28, it says, even as the son came not to minister unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for, for many. Jesus' sole purpose in coming to this world was not so we could have Christmas. It wasn't so he could be a baby in a manger and we could talk about wise men and we could talk about the shepherds. That isn't why he came. His sole purpose in coming was so that he could die for our sins, so he could redeem us. That was his only reason for coming. Because he knew we could not redeem ourselves. If we had to save ourselves, we're, we're lost. Forget it. I can't do enough good things to make me good enough. And neither can you. None of us can. And God knew that. Because the, the righteousness that he requires is so great, it's impossible. No matter how hard we try, we can't be good enough or righteous enough. And I don't care what any church says or talks about. Joining any church in this world isn't going to save you. It isn't going to save me. Obeying every one of the Ten Commandments isn't going to be enough because, in first place, we can't do it. We can't get past number one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. We can't do that. We can't get past number one, so what are we going to do with the other nine? If we could do number one, then the other nine would be easy. But we can't do number one, and God knows that. 
He knew he couldn't, we couldn't redeem ourselves. This reminds me of a story of the 1965 World Series. Now, if you weren't around, I think most of us were around during that period of time. But there was a guy, what was his name? Don Johnson? What was his name? I don't know. Anyway, his last name was Johnson. Anyway, in the ninth, was worse. almost had it. Lou Johnson. Lou Johnson was his name. And it was the seventh game of the World Series. And Lou Johnson hit the home run that won the World Series for him. So, man, it was a great thing for him. He was a hero, hero, hero. Wow, it was great. But the same guy, he got lost in his own life. He got all messed up, and he got into drugs, and he got into alcohol and all these things, and he had sold everything that he had to support his drug habit and his alcohol habit because that's what happens. Because maybe it isn't alcohol, maybe it isn't drugs that we're in bondage to, but we have other things we're in bondage to. We have a tendency to think those are some kind of worse than others, but they're not. But because of this bondage, he lost everything that he had. Everything. He sold everything he had. He had hawked his ring. He hawked his uniform. He even hawked the bat that he used to hit the, hit the World Series, a home run. And then he got his life turned around. I don't know how he got his life turned around. The story didn't tell me that. But then he looked at everything that he had lost. And, it, you know, that would be kind of a thing to realize what you had lost. Because even me, when I got, so, I got saved when I was older, and I sit there and look back at my life, and I thought, man, look at all the years that I lost. Look at all the years of my life that was wasted because I didn't find God or find Jesus before that. My whole life was lost. And so the owner of the team, when he knew that that ring that had finally surfaced, his World Series ring, finally surfaced, he went and he bought that ring and he gave it back to him. He did for him what he couldn't do for himself. And that's what God does for us. He redeems us. We can't do it ourselves. And that's why he came. He redeemed us. And that's, that's what it's all about. Because we can't do it ourselves. No matter how good we are, no matter how much we try, no matter how many times we come to church, you could, you, you could live, move right in here into the sanctuary and live 24 hours a day and live here and do nothing but sing praises and whatever. It would do you no good until you accept Christ. Because he wants to redeem our lives. There was a, something that someone wrote one time. And that says, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent a savior. And that's the first blessing of redemption. It's forgiveness. Ephesians, the verse, verse 1-7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. The greatest thing we needed was forgiveness. It's hard when you're trying to live your life, when you have things in your life that you just can't get over. You think, man, and you go to, maybe you've done something against someone else and you want to forgiveness, but they don't give it to you. And it's hard for us to live with unforgiveness in our heart. That's why God commands us to forgive, because it's a twofold thing. We have to forgive so that God will forgive us. But that's the first blessing of redemption because when we're redeemed, we're forgiven. Wow. Everything that I've ever done in my life is gone. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Men may remember some of the things that I've done, but God doesn't remember them anymore. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Wow, all we have to do is confess them. 
See, the problem we live today is that people won't confess their sins. They used to call them mistakes. Well, all our mistakes we have to confess too. We can call them whatever we want. Mistake sounds a little nicer than sin. Sin's got this really bad name or something that we hold to it. So I'll say, I didn't sin, I just made a mistake. These politicians, well, I just forgot to pay my taxes. Wow, I just forgot, it was just a mistake. Oh yeah, come on, get real here. In this day and age we live on April 15th, how can you forget to pay your taxes, huh? I just made a mistake. And everybody says, oh, well, he just made a mistake. It's okay. It's okay. You try making one and find out how, if it's okay or not. They'd have me, they'd have me like, haul me to jail. <laughs> because it's not okay. And Hebrews 10, 17 says, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Wow. He'll remember them no more. I'm reminded of a guy that you came to God, and he was... He was talking to him, and he says, you know, trying to remind God of everything that he had done. And everything he said, God, remember that time when I, when I swore? Remember that time when I cheated such and such? And God kept saying, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember at everything. And that's what God says to us when we've been redeemed. That he don't remember them anymore. They're gone. They're completely wiped out. So if they look by your name and see all these things that you do that somebody's keeping track of, because everything that we say or do is being tra- keeping track of, and all these mistakes that we've made, when we come to Christ, they're all blotted out. We get a brand new, clean heart. We get a clean life, and, and it's, everything's wiped out. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That's great. I like forgiveness. I love forgiveness. And it's only through forgiveness and through God that God can take our lives and make something beautiful out of them. No matter how messed up our lives are, no matter how much we think that we can do nothing, God can make our lives beautiful. I'm amazed at these people that I, you know, that have seen, I don't know whether you've seen that uh, going around the internet or not about that one uh, guy that was born without, with very, no legs, just the feet on the end of his, bottom of his body and his hands were like up here didn't really have any hands. He just had some little, you know, stubby little things. So he was, you know, he was probably about two foot tall because he didn't have any legs or anything. Now, I, and you look at him, and what is he doing today? He's preaching the gospel. God's using him to preach the gospel. And you think, man, what a testimony. See, God can take, it doesn't matter what our lives are. God can make something beautiful and something great out of our lives. And all we have to do is let God redeem us. Forgive us of our sins and let him make something beautiful out of our lives. Now, I don't know what would happen to that guy if God would have made him normal. Normal height, normal legs and everything. I don't know what his life would have been like. It might not have been as blessed as what it, what it turned out to be. I want to be God, have God to use me in any way he can. It doesn't matter. And when we come to God, our lives are beautiful because our life isn't what our bodies look like. Our life isn't. Those kind of things. And yet we're kind of focused on those, aren't we? We get focused on the appearance of people. Who are our heroes? Oh, models, movie stars. Those are our heroes today. But those aren't God's heroes. God's heroes are the ones that are heroes in their heart. Those are the ones that God's redeemed and changed. And those are the ones that God can make somebody's life beautiful and he can change them. And that's what happens when he redeems us. He takes the unlovely and makes us lovely. I have met a lot of people. You sit there and you look at them. I, I went with a guy one time, and oh, man, he was so handsome. Oh, he, oh, 
you know, made, your, made my little heart go pitter-patter. Oh, man, I thought, oh, that'd be so great. And I finally got to go out with him. Oh, I was just so excited. At the end of that date, I thought his the, he was the worst guy I ever seen in my life. <laughs> I thought, what did I ever see in that guy? Because sometimes things look afar, they look pretty good. But you get to know somebody, and they turn out to be the ugliest people that you could ever know. Some of the most lovely people that I've met in my life are those that we wouldn't be attracted to, generally speaking. And that's the way that God does with our life. Oh, yeah, maybe the, maybe the people from afar don't want anything to do with us, but God makes us beautiful. And when you get to know someone that isn't, you wouldn't maybe normally give them the time of day, you get to know them, and you think, wow, that is such a beautiful person. That is such a nice person. I really like that person. Because that's what God, that's the way God works. It doesn't matter to God what the vessel looks like. It's what he's going to do with it. And every vessel he makes beautiful because our lives become something beautiful in the hands of the master. Isn't that true? He wants to paint a picture with our lives and make it beautiful. The second blessing of redemption is grace. Ephesians back to the set verses 7 and 8. Now this is the good news version. It says, for the blood of Christ through, for by the blood of Christ we are set free. That is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God which he gave to us in such large measure in all wisdom and insight. Now, grace is unmerited favor. See, he not only forgives us of our sins and redeems us from the penalty of sin because that originally kind of draws us to God because we, don't, we want to get out of the penalty. There isn't a person up in the state penitentiary today that wouldn't say, if you just say, I, I, I'm sorry for my sin, I'll let you out. There wasn't one that would do that. That wouldn't do that, would there? So forgiveness is a great thing. But not only are we forgiven from our past, but we get things that we don't deserve. And that's what great, grace is, is getting something that we haven't deserved. God treats us just as if we'd never sinned, and he gives us all of his benefits. He promises to bless our life in fullness. Now, sometimes when we think of blessings, we think it's just material needs. And sometimes that's what God gives us is material things. But we can't look at material things as the only blessings God gives us. Sometimes that's the case. But not always. We're kind of focused on things that are material. In reality, they're not. I'm reminded of this story I'm going to read. Before I, uh, it's too long for me to talk about it. So I'm going to read it. And it kind of helps, helps us grasp that point. One day, the father of a very wealthy family took his son on a trip to the country with the express purpose of showing him how poor people live. They spent a couple of days and nights on the farm of what they would consider a very poor family. On their return from their trip, the father asked his son, how was the trip? It was great, Dad. Did you see how poor people live, the father asked. Oh, yeah, said the son. So tell me, what, what you learned from the trip? asked the father. The son answered, I saw that we have one dog. They have four. We have a pool that reaches to the middle of our garden, and they have a creek that has no end. We have a lantern. We have imported lanterns in our garden, <clears throat> and they have the stars at night. Our patio reaches to the front yard, and they have the whole horizon. We have a small piece of land to live on, and they have the fields that go beyond our sight. We have servants who serve us, but they serve others. We buy our food, but they grow theirs. We have walls around our property to protect us. They have friends to protect them. The boy's father was speechless. Then his son added, thanks, Dad, for showing me how poor we are. 
<laughs> and that's kind of what it's like when we become Christians. The world thinks we're poor. The world thinks that we're, we're stupid and, and we've got sucked into something that's ridiculous. But that's the reality of it because it's the perspective that we have. And when God saves us and he redeems us and gives, shows us his grace, he gives us things we, don't, we can't earn and things that we couldn't buy if we wanted to. And that's one of the most, another important blessing of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of uh, <clears throat> uh, redemption. First John, John 1, verse 16 says, Out of the fullness of his grace he has blessed us all, giving us blessing after blessing. Now every time we think about grace, we can't help but think about John Newton and his life. Now he was orphaned at, his, at a young age, and uh, he was pawned off to relatives who did nothing but abuse him and ridiculed him and basically used him like a slave. So he ran away and joined the Royal Navy. And eventually, he just turned into a, basically a drunk, just drank all the time, because if you don't have any hope, you gotta, have, you gotta fill up something in your life. So he turned into a drunk, and he deserted the Royal Navy and joined up with a freighter, a slave ship, that went out and slaved with uh, slaves. And one day he got so drunk he fell overboard. And the only way he was saved was by um, somebody harpooning, throwing a harpoon in, in him and caught him in his leg, and they yanked him back up into the boat. That's the only way he was saved, was through that. Now, how many would have, would have guessed that a harpoon could save your life? <laughs> Please stab me, I need to, you know. And then one day, even though he was raised in a Christian home, of course he wasn't a Christian, but one day in the middle of a storm, he was sitting out there, and I don't know what was going on in his heart, but he started remembering some of the scriptures that his parents had told him when he was a kid. That's why kids' church is so important. It's because that we put the stuff in there, and when they get older, sometime in their life, God's going to bring that stuff back to them. And he started remembering those scriptures and those things that his parents had taught him. And because of that, he gave his heart to Christ, and his whole life changed. He became a new creature. And he became a, a marvelous preacher, very popular. And at the age of 82, everybody tried to tell him, you know, you, you need to retire because your memory's failing, your health isn't very good. And all he said was, well, I know my memory's failing. I know my health isn't that good, but I still remember two things. I was a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. And, of course, we know he understood grace because he wrote the song Amazing Grace. And where would this world be without that song? Wow. That song, I don't think there's probably a, any, any Christian anywhere that hasn't been affected by that song. Or even non-Christians, they like it. They sing it at funerals all the time. Because that, it, his grace is so amazing, we can't understand it. But it's a benefit of being redeemed. And I like that benefit. Because I like getting stuff that I don't have to work for. Because I couldn't work for it. I couldn't gain heaven. I don't know anything about laying all asphalt and gold, do you? I don't know anything about building houses out of gold or precious stones. You know, I like, I like precious stones. I like, you know, I like diamonds. They're, they're kind of nice. I like that kind of stuff. But I, we can't even imagine the place that God's prepared for us. But we couldn't do it, and we don't deserve it. We, we don't even deserve, they say, the little, give me a little shack in heaven. We don't even deserve that little shack in heaven. But God isn't going to give us a shack. He's going to give us a mansion, and he's going to give us a a place to live that we do not deserve. And there's nothing we could do for it. That's the second benefit of redemption. The third blessing or benefit of uh, redemption is discernment. 
Ephesians 1.8, New Living Translation says, He has showed his kindness on us along with his wisdom and understanding. Now, wisdom, discernment, understanding, they're kind of all kind of in the, in the same thing. And it's kind of the key to a, living a Christian life because we have to know what not to do and what to do. We have churches and we have rules and regulations in churches because they help us. They do help us. If sometimes we don't know what we should do, what we shouldn't do. Now, when we have Christ's discernment, which is a benefit of redemption, then he can talk to us. But sometimes when we first get saved and our lives are really screwed up, messed up, you know, like mine was. I don't know about your life. My life's pretty messed up when I got saved. And I didn't have a lot of, well, see, what do I, can, what can I, what should I do? What shouldn't I do? What should I do? What shouldn't I do? So I had to go to a church that kind of helped me get through that. You know, you should read your Bible every day. You should pray every day. Okay, I can do that. And then you start getting into some of the gray, gray areas. Now, what's wrong? How many times do we hear Christians say, now, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with doing this? Am I going to go to hell if I do this? How many times do we hear that? Because people are having a problem with discernment. They don't know. And they want somebody to tell them it's okay. But if I ask to ask somebody if it's okay, it probably isn't okay. And I've learned that in my life. If I'm just trying to get somebody to give me permission to go do something, then I need to rethink that because I think I already know the answer. But God gives us that discernment so we can know what we should do, what we shouldn't do. And sometimes we find out we shouldn't do something after we've done it. Have you ever done that? Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Because, you know, sometimes God's voice is, we don't really in tune to it on certain things. If we want to do something so bad, okay, God, you want me to do this? Okay, thanks. We don't give him a chance to, to respond to, to what we want to do. And sometimes we have, we find out afterwards that we shouldn't have done it. But, though, but we learn. We learn from those things. And then that's when we come back to forgiveness. Forgive me, God. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that again. I learned my lesson. I'm not going to do that. And sometimes that's the only way we learn. So I come back to forgiveness. And then I come back through grace. Because I need grace every day. The Bible says his grace is new every morning. Every morning he's got a whole lot of grace for me. And he's got a whole lot of grace for each one of you too. And I, don't want, I wouldn't want to live without God's grace. Because it's God's grace to keep me from... <laughs> God's grace gives us everything that we have. And he's going to give us heaven one day because of his grace. And in this life, he wants us to live according to his principles. And the only way we're going to do that is by his discernment, which is the third blessing of redemption. It's kind of a package deal. We just have to make our way through that, but it's something that we can do. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. If we look around the society, there every. Buddy thinks certain things are right. We're dealing with, with issues right now that I never thought I would ever see in my lifetime where people are standing on the steps of the, of the Capitol. Practically, they would want to stone our Utah state representative for saying what he said about homosexuality, about the dangers of it. And man, they sit there and what are the... And man, every, all the news is always there because why? They don't have any discernment. And they want to ridicule somebody because they know... This is what God says. But if you don't ever read this Bible, you don't know what God says. And they, they're calling stuff that isn't sin, or thinking that stuff that's sin, God calls sin, they're saying it isn't. And they're even putting God's name in it. God made me this way. Have you heard that? God didn't make anybody that way. Now, there were some people, we had some friends when we were growing up, before we got saved, they did have a child. And he was born 
with both genders. And they had to choose which one they wanted. Did they want a son or did they want a daughter? Because they had both organs or both things for, for both kids. That'd be a hard choice, wouldn't it? And the doctors advised them, well, which would be the most medically, what is the most medically, or DNA or whatever you want to call it. And they said probably a boy. And so that's what they made him was a boy. But that'd be a hard decision to make. But God didn't make anybody the way that they are as far as the, the disabilities and things that ha they have. Because years ago, they did a, a genetic study, and they found out that if, if man, if we, as people, would just abstain from all the things in moderation, do away with all the things that we're calling, not calling sin, and call them sin and not do it, by the fourth generation, we wouldn't have any birth defects. We wouldn't have any of the things that we're seeing in our society. And the Bible says that some of the sins are going to be carried down through the fourth generation. And how many times have people been heartbroken when I remember a story of this guy that got married. He, when he was younger, he sowed his wild oats. And during that period of time, he had caught in a sexually transmitted disease. But that was in his old life. That was in his past. It was no big deal. He had been saved now. He was redeemed. No big deal. But when he got married and his wife got pregnant, she ended up having a baby that had problems because of this thing that he had done years before. So sometimes our wild oats follow us. Sometimes God spares us, but sometimes God doesn't. I don't understand those kind of things. But I do know that in not, maybe not in this life, but the next life, everything's going to be gone. We'll have to worry about it. But our wild oats that we sow in this life is going to affect us, and they're going to follow us. Some things God gets us through, and I've seen many, many times where God has changed people's lives. I've seen people with HIV that God's healed, but I've seen a lot of people with HIV that God hasn't healed. I don't know why. That's up to God. But God wants to redeem us our whole lives and make something beautiful out of us. It isn't a matter of how much time we have on this earth. It's the quality of that time we spend here. And I want all my quality time to be spent serving God. And when God is in our hearts and our lives, he gives us the discernment or the insight or the understanding to know, I don't need somebody to tell me that if I drink a fifth of whiskey a day, that isn't good for me. I don't need somebody to tell me that. Do we? No. When we have God's discernment in our life, then he's the one that can show us the things that we can do and can't do. Churches help us. Don't go to X-rated movies. Why do we need to be told that? We shouldn't need to. But somebody has to tell some people that because they're not mature enough to know that. And when you got your kids, when they're little, we have to tell them things that they shouldn't do and they should do. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, don't do this. Because we're the ones that are required to teach them. And so the rules and regulations are good because they help us. They help us from making mistakes that we're going to have to pay for in our own hearts. Because every time, you know, we pray and we're sitting there, we're trying to talking to God, then all of a sudden, then the devil runs stuff past your mind or a video of something that you did that was wrong? Or does that just happen to me? <laughs> but then I have to say, no, I'm forgiven of that. That's under the blood. I've been redeemed. It's gone. And, I'm, and I just changed my thought. Because of redemption, I can do that. So all those things that, that we've done, God wants to redeem our lives and make something beautiful out of it. Uh, Ephesians, again, 7 and 8, For thy blood of Christ we are set free, that is, our sins are forgiven. How great is the grace of God which he gave to us in such large measure in all wisdom and insight. Christ wants to redeem us, not just forgive us of our sin, but he wants to show grace on us and give us the things that we don't deserve, 
plus give us the discernment so we can avoid a lot of things in our life. God doesn't want us making mistakes. He wants us to have a life that's blessed in every aspect of our life. He wants our work to be blessed. And when I was working, I prayed for the place I work every day. God, let bless them with finances. Help me, Lord, to be a blessing to my employer. Help me, Lord, to, do, to save the company money. Help me, whatever. I prayed for my employer. If we're not playing for our employers, then we might be in trouble someday, especially in this economy we live in. Because in spite of what everybody thinks, the employers is the one that's got to make the money because if they don't make money, we're not going to. So I pray for them. I pray for, I prayed for them a lot. It tells us to pray for our leaders. If we don't like our leaders, are you praying for them? I don't like our leadership and the, some of the choices that they've made, even before the last election. I didn't like some of the decisions that were made up there because they didn't have common sense or discernment. And sometimes they see all that money in it. Nice. Wouldn't you just like to have a checkbook that you could just write whatever you wanted out of? And I wrote this out and said, oh, Val, I wrote this out because I was running a little low this week. Would you give this to me? Give me, give me $250. I need it today. How would that work? Wouldn't that be nice to be able to do that? Well, that's what our government does. They don't want it. They don't care. We're going to go fund this program. Hey, you guys write out a check. You're paying for it. Be nice if the government just had a little common sense to live within their means. We have to. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run the race that is set before us. We need to lay aside every weight and every sin that easily besets us, every sin that causes us to stumble. If it's something that's causing us to stumble, why don't we get rid of it? Why do we sit there and live with something in our life that we just can't get over? Well, we don't have to because Christ came to redeem us. He came to forgive us, would give us grace, and give us discernment. So why do we put up with this stuff? We don't have to. We have to just come back to the cross and say, Christ, I, you, you redeemed me. You've called me by name. You don't have to put up with this. You don't have to live with this stuff that easily makes us stumble. Have you been redeemed this morning? Or just been forgiven. It's a package deal. We come to Christ for forgiven, but we, we, we ask for forgiveness, but then we get grace. For, and we get stuff we don't deserve. And we get to discernment to know the difference. And I'll tell you, that common sense or that discernment is one of the greatest gifts that God can give us because that saves us from so much problems in our life. This morning we're going to have communion, and I thought, what a good day to have communion, the day when I talk about being redeemed. Amen? It's great because we can uh, remember. <clears throat> yeah, we talk about how wonderful grace is and how wonderful forgiveness is and discernment and all those things, but we forget about there was a price to pay. Somebody had to pay that price, and I couldn't pay it. I wasn't qualified. I had to be a sinless person. Well... Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find one. You couldn't find one of those because you don't have to teach a kid to lie. They learn to lie at a young age. They learn to, to steal at a young age, don't they? My kids learned right off the bat. One of the first things I think before they talk, could talk, they learned how to be selfish. And they learned how to get mad and throw a fit when they don't get their own way. We don't have to teach them those kind of things. But we don't have to live the way we are. And because Christ redeemed us, and he didn't re redeem us so we could become his property, he redeemed us to set us free. And I like being free.
I don't, I, I don't like being under the bondage of sin and the things that so easily beset us. And there were a lot of things I had problems with and I had struggles with in my life. That, that Christ had to just come in and give me the power to overcome them. But that's what he does. He forgives us and he gives us the power to overcome those things. So if you want, let's do communion this morning. Let's see, we need a couple guys or a couple, just a couple people. Don't have to be guys. Oops. So we can, Val and Freddie, if you'd come. <coughs> Go ahead and pass it out. If you, if you hold them until we all take it together. You don't have to be a member of a church in order to take communion. This is just in remembrance of what Christ did for us. Remembering that he's the one that paid the price for our, our redemption. He's the one that ransomed our lives. And I'm glad he did. Aren't you? I don't know what I'd be, where I'd be doing. I keep telling people, you know, if it hadn't been for Christ, we'd probably be in jail by now. Not for, well, we, we might have killed somebody driving a car because we always... We drank all the time. And we drank so much that, you know, we really weren't drunk. We was always over the limit. And I started drinking. I, I used to get home from work at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I could have in like four or five beers before Randy even got home. And so, and then we drank till we went to bed. And on weekends, hey, we started one minute after noon. Well, 10, 9, 8, you know. That's, that's the way we were. So we understand that. My life was really messed up, and I know that some sooner or later, if it hadn't been for the grace of God, I'd be, be in jail under DUI or for killing somebody or something from driving. Thank you. Let go. There we go. I know we do this every month, but you know, there's no reason that you can't do this. You can do this at home. It doesn't have to be some specific person that has to give this to you. You can do it for yourself. They, they did it almost daily. They took communion in the early church. He didn't say give us a, a required amount of time to do communion. He just told us to do it in remembrance of him because we don't want to get so wrapped up in this world that we forget what Christ did for us. Sometimes we're so busy doing God's work, we have no time for God. And we have to sit and take step back and remember what Christ did for us. And once a month, we can remember what he did for us. And that's why he told us to do this. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Not because they haven't got anything better to do. Not because the, the, oh, well, our church does it once a month because that's why, that's why we do it. He said, do it in remembrance of me. It's the reason we do it, not actually doing it itself. That isn't the thing. It's to remember what he did for us. And he said, before you do, examine your hearts and make sure there isn't anything in our lives, any sin in our life. And if there is, let's confess it before him. Let's take a few minutes and do that this morning. <clears throat> Think about things in our life that maybe we need to, we've forgotten to ask him forgiveness for.
The Bible says on the same night that he was betrayed. Now, this has been hard for me to be able to go through this and do this, what he did, knowing the one that he was going to be serving was going to be the one that was going to betray him. That'd be hard to do. It's hard for us to be civil to somebody that we know has done something to us. What didn't cost us our life? But Jesus didn't care. He wanted us to do it and show us that, hey, you can do this. If I can do this and serve someone that's going to betray me, you can too. But it was the same night he was betrayed, and he took the, the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. He knew what was going to happen to him. It wasn't a surprise. He knew how he was going to die. He had probably seen how they killed people by crucifixion during that time frame. He knew. He probably walked down that road because right outside the one city gate, that's what they were known for in that area, was doing nothing but crucifying people. So he's seen it. He knew what was going to happen to him. And yet he still said, this is my body, which I am going to be broken, which is going to be broken for you, which is broken because in his mind and in his heart, it had already been broken. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. His body was broken. He took stripes upon his back for our healing. And we take the bread and we say, Lord, good time to say, Lord, heal me. Lord, I remember the stripes on your back. And I'm receiving healing, Lord, as a remembrance because to remind me that it was on that day that you took stripes for my healing. And in the same manner, he took the cup. And he said, this is the covenant of my, of my blood. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. The covenants were well known to be made in blood. They used to do it with an animal, of course, back then. When you, we've got the, you know, the customs that we've had as blood brothers and blood sisters where you cut each other and mingle your blood and those kind of things. But he said, this is, represents the blood that I'm shedding for you. And for you to remember, every time you take this, do it in remembrance of me. I'm thankful for redemption because that's what changed my life. And it's changed my future. And I'm looking forward to that day when he comes and takes me home. I'm looking forward to that new body. Oh, like nobody's business, I'm looking forward to that new body. And I'm looking, you know, all those things are great, but you know what I'm going to be looking forward to the most when I get to heaven? It's going to be not having to have these things going through my mind about things that I shouldn't be thinking about. And I'll be able to worship God without any hindrances. And I'm going to be able to sing praises to God and not worrying about what I'm having for dinner at the same time. And my mind is going to be focused on God. And all those things and all those interferences that's in my life now aren't going to be there. There's going to be no phone calls. There's going to be no knocks on the door. I've been, we've been watching Tammy's dog for the week, and I go in in the night before I go to bed and I pray. <clears throat> well, she goes in there. And she whines at the door. And she scratches and she barks because she wants in there. You know? <laughs> and so for sooner or later I get tired of it because it's distracting me. So I let her in and get her a couple little pets and then she goes on her little old way. But she wants to know who's in there. I won't have any of those kind of distractions. I'm going to be eating with one hand and praising with the other. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that. And that's the one thing I'm looking forward to more than anything else about heaven is that I'm going to be able to worship God 
Because those times, when those times that were shut in with God in that secret place, those are some of the best memories or the best things that I have in my life. And I'm going to have a whole eternity to deal with those kind of things. And I'm looking forward to that above. The other thing's just gravy, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you.